Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, hello, guys. So I know we all want to be booked and busy. That is the goal as estheticians. But... In order to do so, we've got to be booked. This episode is in partnership with Gloss Genius. Made for salons and spas, Gloss Genius is the only business management and payments platform that makes it easy to grow revenue and enhance the client experience. From a beautiful online booking site to powerful marketing tools and low payment processing rates, Gloss Genius empowers you to run your full salon in a stylish and smart way while feeling supported at every step. For 50% off for two months, go to the link in the show notes and enter code TTR22F. Now, without further ado, let's get back to the show. Hello, guys. Welcome back to the Treatment Room Podcast. I am here with Dr. Arise Rubin today, who's a Harvard-trained dermatologist and founder of the phenomenal hair care line, Scene Hair Care. Dr. Rubin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining. I have to tell you, not only do I love Scene, but it's been pretty life-changing for a lot of my clients. I've actually been recommending them to pick up Scene for, for I think about a year until I officially started working with a retail partner that now um, just sells directly to my clients. But even before that, I've been such a big fan of, of you oh, and your I line. I love that. Yeah. I, I, Tessa, that's amazing. What, what are the stories? I, you know, I always love to hear yeah. um, life-changing stories. Yeah. So I specialize in acne. So most of my clients are acne clients and a big conversation we have is about hair care. And, you know, I always feel a bit bad because usually we're changing up their skincare routine. And then I have to say, we should also look at your hair care, but it's really so important. I see a lot of breakout on the forehead, around the temples, even the chest and the back, as you know, with body acne. So just getting people on the hair care line and even adjusting their body wash if needed has been major. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's, you know, that's really like, I, I created scene because I was getting acne from what I thought was a really surprising cause, which was my hair care products. And um, oh. I, I think, you know, not everyone realizes that hair care products can really affect your skin. Totally. And I feel like sometimes people are a little bit reluctant because, you know, they find their their hair care favorites. But I try to encourage them that, no, you're really going to love this just as much for your hair. But at the same time, it is safe for acne prone skin. And I just see so many products these days that we're applying close to the skin, such as dry shampoo, hairspray, a lot of leave-in detanglers or hair serums or blow-dry serums, or, you know, with the with the trend of the slicked back hair, 
a lot yeah. of applying like more comedogenic greasy products very close to the skin and even sleeping in it. Yeah, for sure. I think what people don't realize is all that stuff ends up on your skin. You know, even even if you, you know, it's really almost impossible to get something on your hair without it ending up on your skin because, you know, shampoo and conditioner just by design, they um, bind your hair to give you the function that you want from a shampoo and conditioner. And they also make their way onto your skin as they rinse down in the shower. So, that, you know, down your face, your scalp, yeah. your body, and then leave, then all those leave-in products make the way onto your skin, either directly from the hair, from a towel or pillowcase. So, you know, it's really um, almost impossible to use something, you know, on your hair without it making its way onto some part of your skin. Totally. I mean, and unless you're really kind of cognizant of it, sometimes it's almost like you could wash your face with your shampoo by accident. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's 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 true, actually. I, I know, like, there's some there's some people that actually do do that. Yeah, um, I'm sure. Yeah, but um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, Dr. Rubin, I know you mentioned you suffered with acne in the past. Is that what led you to dermatology? So I actually really didn't start out thinking I'd be a dermatologist. I, I um, went to medical school and I was sure that I was going to be a surgeon. And then I realized, like, I really need to sleep. And um, so that, that yeah. 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 Um, and then I really, um, I actually got attracted to dermatology a bit late. But for me, it was just the the visual nature I really love and the fact that you could fix things. So um, I actually ended up, I was an in, uh, started off in internal medicine in my training, and that was a lot of managing chronic disease. And then, you know, I got attracted mm-hmm. to dermatology a bit late, um, but um, ended spending most of my career as a pediatric laser surgeon. So actually being in the operating room um, and the clinic, uh, treating babies and kids with disfiguring birthmarks and scars. So that that was incredibly gratifying, and um, I um, I actually resigned a few years ago because I just believed so much in in seeing because I um, when I discovered hair care products were um, a, a major source for me of my acne and breakouts. I just thought like, wow, people are spending so much on their skincare regimen, seeing estheticians and dermatologists to treat acne, and then undoing so much of that potentially um, by their hair care products. And, you know, so many people are bathing and pore clogging ingredients every day via their hair care without realizing it. So I just felt really compelled um, to to launch Scene. Wow, that's incredible. So what was that transition like for you moving away from actually working in an office and working in medicine to launching a brand? You know, at first, I like, you know, in me- in medicine, I think you're just kind of trained to be like really non-commercial, like industry is thought of as like, you know, being biased and any commercial interest isn't necessarily thought of, you know, as, as good. Um, so it, it was a big transition, but I quickly realized that, you know, you can do a lot of good in business and, and we are so fortunate that with seeing that we just hear all the time, you know, that it's, it's life-changing, game-changing, I mean, just this week we had someone write in, actually, we're talking about the benefits. So Scene did start as a product, um, hair care that would be, you know, acne safe and um, won't clog pores and also non-irritating. 
But we kept hearing from people also who benefited, um, who had scalp issues that would improve or, you know, um, their eczema wouldn't get exacerbated and and um, also their hair was shedding less. So this week we had a story of someone who told us that she had COVID and she had so much hair loss that her um, her stylist thought that she actually um, was a cancer patient and she tried everything and it wasn't until she tried seeing that her hair shedding improved. But that's just one of like many examples. So it's, just, it's been really, really gratifying um, to see how you know, so many people think it's their skin that's the issue, but in many cases, it's really just using the right products and giving people um, the a product that, that works for their skin has been incredibly gratifying. Yeah, I think it really goes to show, you know, it's not just about the skincare, but it's about being aware of really everything we come in contact with. And we were just chatting a little bit offline about how I'm rash prone, but having that experience or even having acne, I think it can make you so much more aware of these things. But I really am so glad Scene exists. I felt like this is the line I was wanting to, I I wanted it to exist so I could share it with my clients. You know, for the longest time, I would go through ingredient decks and try to find something of this nature. But you've kind of done the work for us. Do you think you could speak a little bit to some of the common ingredients in hair care that could be problematic? Maybe we could start with acne prone skin. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, it did take over four years to formulate our first couple of products. And, you know, I like to say, um, I break out so so you don't have to because initially with all the formulas I'll test the products and then my twin sister is my built-in control I'll I'll have her test the <laughs> products and then we'll put it through third-party comedogenicity testing but I think yeah. the reason it's so important is that um, I wish it were as simple as like an you know avoid X Y Z in ingredient and then you know the product's non-comedogenic and non-irritating but yes. it turns out that um, like thresholds of ingredients, like how much and then how they combine really matters as well. So like when I first started seeing, I had a spreadsheet of over 400 ingredients that are in personal care products, um, but it was only so helpful because of the combinations and the thresholds. And many ingredients really have no data at all, or the data may be from rabbit ear studies that don't always yes. translate to humans. So it's, it's really tricky. Like looking at labels is great. It's really tricky. Um, you know, I would say for people who are acne prone, like one of the ingredients I see a lot in hair care that can be highly comedogenic is coconut oil. So mm-hmm. I think you know, that's worth avoiding um, if you're acne prone. Not all oils are bad, but certainly a bunch can clog pores. So if something's really heavy or full of a lot of oils, you know, it's something just to pay attention to. It doesn't mean it's going to clog your pores, but it could. Um but it's really like tricky just to look at the ingredient label and 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 give give a list. I would I would say certain waxes and polymers can also contribute to clogged pores. Um, and then there's all these sneaky ingredients, um, you know, that have all these um, chemically sounding names that 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 clog pores. So, um, but I, I certainly would like start with you know avoiding uh, coconut oil if possible. You know, people also asking me about silicones if those clog pores. I actually 
even though we remove silicones from seen, I don't think um, silicones are necessarily bad on their own, but I think what happens is that they are what are called what's called occlusive. So they leave this film on the skin and they can trap other ingredients on the skin. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I'm actually so glad you brought this up, Dr. Rubin, because it's been a really big topic in the aesthetics community is this topic of pore clogging ingredients. And there are a lot of brands that have sort of started these lists of, you know, ingredients to avoid because they're supposedly pore clogging. And I think you made a really great point that a lot of the data we have on these ingredients are from these old school, you know, animal testing methods where we tested the backs of bunnies ears, not human skin. So sometimes I feel like it creates a, a lot of fear around certain ingredients like shea butter. I'm not sure if you have thoughts on that. Shea butter comes up all the time. It's so interesting. So I'm with you. I think it's hard though, because when you're struggling with acne, like it's so, it's so painful. I mean, it's so much more beyond the skin. You know, I, I I actually had um, a major breakout when my daughter was born and I wouldn't even like share any of the pictures, you know, when Mm -hmm. she was born. And so it's just like, Mm -hmm. and the reason we're called seen is because, you know, um, Many people don't want to be seen. I've been there. Um, but I think you're totally right um, about the fear because, you know, there's even a published manuscript about it that it's really not the um, ingredients um, so much as it is the formula itself that makes the difference. Um, you know, but I do think both matter. And shea butter, you know, we have um, shea butter acetyl esters in our um, conditioner and, um, our curly cream. And I know there's a lot of like, uh, data on the web saying that it could potentially clog pores, but, um, you know, in our experience, like that's just a part of the shea butter. And when used at a certain amount, it really, you know, doesn't, doesn't clog pores. So it's, it's tricky because you also want, like, I think one of the things that makes scene so special is that it really doesn't compromise on the hair experience because, you know, everyone wants to have clear skin and, you know, healthy skin, but they also want to have beautiful hair and have, um, you know, I'm super curly. Like I need really a lot of hydration. They also want their hair to look good. Um, Mm. So I I totally agree with you um, about the fear. And, you know, I think on shea butter also um, potential misinformation. Yeah. Justice for shea butter. I feel like it's such a great ingredient that I've really never seen a problem with it either in moisturizers or certain skincare ingredients. I agree. It's kind of like we have been taught that we can kind of dissect labels to look for these problems with good intentions of helping our acne, but I agree. It's more about the overall recipe, right? Yeah, I I think so. But it's hard because, you know, we're, we put scene through the testing that you would expect a, uh, uh, skincare products to go through comedogenicity testing, repeat insult patch testing to check for um, skin allergies and irritation. But, you know, I I think the looking at ingredients um, happens because a lot of products aren't tested like that. And I still think it's a good thing, a good thing to do, because aside from the pore clogging ingredients, it's a little bit less, I would say, nuanced on the allergen front, because, you know, um, there's certain allergens like preservatives, like, um, 
M-I-methylchloroisothalazonanone, I can barely say it, and methylisothalazonanone um, that are common allergens. So there's, it's still good to look at the ingredient list, I think, um, you know, especially when you're looking to avoid certain irritants or allergens. Yeah, absolutely. And how about when it comes to fragrance as an allergen? I think that's another big topic in our industry, and sometimes people are divided on that. Yeah. One thing I really appreciate about seeing is that you have the option for both fragrance-free and you have a scented option. Why do you yeah. think offering fragrance-free is important? You know, um, I think, so I think fragrance-free is important because there are a number and rising group of people that are allergic to fragrance with um, contact dermatitis, like an irritant or allergic contact dermatitis that may get rashes or um, itching. And then there's also, um, I'd say, a group of people that that get migraines from, um, from fragrance. And we've had a number of people who have recovered from COVID and have the distorted smell and really can't tolerate fragrances very well. So um, we actually, uh, our fragrance-free products are a, a huge seller for us. Um, I'd also add that some, you know, seen it all seen products are, are considered clean, but everyone's definition of clean is different. And some people don't want fragrance in there no matter what, um, you know, and, and so that's why we really feel that we want to offer people a choice. I myself am not allergic. I, I have very sensitive skin, but just because you have sensitive skin doesn't necessarily mean you're, you're sensitive to fragrance. And in my case, I really love like having a shampoo that smells amazing. So I use the scented version of scene, but my business partner, Greg, who's married to my twin sister, he uses fragrance free because before scene, he was, um, you know, reacting to every product <laughs> that he could imagine. Even this is interesting, even, you know, products in whole foods, because just because something's natural or organic doesn't mean it's skin friendly. You know, in Greg's case, he can't tolerate lavender or, or grapefruit, and that's in a lot of um, natural and organic products. And, you know, I like to say poison ivy is 100% natural. So so even the natural fragrances doesn't mean that your skin is safe um, from reacting. Uh, certainly, it's, it's cleaner than a synthetic fragrance. Mm, yeah, I think it's such a big topic of conversation, and I also have created products and they are fragrance free but I one thing I noticed was that a lot of people are starting to just want to get on the fragrance free wagon whether it's for allergy reasons or like you said migraines or even somebody with perhaps like a thyroid condition who's nervous about endocrine disruptors I feel like there's just a laundry list of reasons but I think a lot of people feel like it's hard to find high quality skin and hair care products that are also fragrance free. Totally. Um, and I think one of the things also is that, um, you know, some people may not realize that just if something says un, unscented, you know, mm. it could have like a masking fragrance. So it's important with fragrance free just to make sure that really the product is, um, you know, truly fragrance free. Absolutely. So you had also mentioned scalp concerns, you know, possibly having dry or curly hair, hair that is damaged. 
for those listening who are really interested in hair health, what would you say are some of your best pieces of advice, perhaps things you notice causing damage or causing problems for hair health? Or what are some positive things somebody could include in their routine to benefit their hair? Yeah, I think like one of the biggest things for hair health is making sure that your scalp is healthy. Um, Because people may not realize, but, um, you know, your, your hair, your scalp is literally the manufacturing plant for your hair. So like a healthy scalp is really, um, no pun intended, the root of um, making sure that you have healthy hair. And I think one mistake that people make is, um, you know, just like layering on the dry shampoo. Like it's really important to make sure that your follicles um, are cleaned, you know, properly periodically and not just layering on dry shampoo and, um, you know, Passing, passing on washing your hair periodically. So I think that that's an important one. Um, you know, the other, the other thing that I would say is like whenever someone's styling their hair, it's really important to use uh, a heat protectant if you're using any heat, like, you know, right before you apply heat. So that's important. And then another is um, the hair is actually also affected by UV and pollution. So you've seen styling products, for example, have UV and pollution protection for the hair. So that's like a third tip to, to look for. Oh, wow. So it's almost like sunscreen for your hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. I feel like you bring up interesting points. So in your opinion, as a dermatologist, would you say you wouldn't recommend using dry shampoo? at all I think I think like dry shampoo is okay periodically but I think you know everyone needs to wash their hair a different amount like I can go a whole week without washing my hair I've got very curly (laughs) dry hair I usually wash it about twice a week um but no I think dry shampoo is okay periodically but I just think it's not a substitute for regular shampoo right okay that makes sense and as far as like how somebody should determine what's a healthy amount of washing their hair. I feel like we've seen kind of different sides. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but I feel like it's been a trend to wash your hair as little as possible. And now I kind of see it coming back into favor. How would somebody know when it's time for them to wash their hair? Yeah, I know. I'm not a fan of like the washing as little as possible or the um, no poo. I, I really yeah. think like it's important to keep your follicles like, you know, um, unclogged and to, and to get it all, everything, um, you know, cleaned out of there periodically. So I think it just really depends on your hair type. Um, you know, and, and there are some, I know there's some people who've got very oily hair, who've gotten the recommendation to wash their hair less so that you like stop that cycle of oil production. I, I'm not sure that's really a thing. I think some people do need to wash their hair every day. Um, but um, I think it just really depends. Like I said, some people will need to wash every day. Like if I've got curly hair, it's once or twice a week. Um, it depends. You know, I think some signs that you need to wash your hair is if, you're, if your scalp starts to get itchy or oily like those are really you know good good signs or you know if your hair is oily like those are all signs you know clear signs that you know you you should consider washing your hair more often okay and how about hair loss as a dermatologist 
What are some common reasons that you see people experiencing hair loss? Yeah. Well, I think one big one now is like COVID, um, which causes what's called the telogen effluvium. So like after a stressful event can even happen a couple months after pregnancy or or an illness, um, the hair shifts cycles and, and starts to shed. And it actually does resolve on its own, but it can take months. And, and be, I've had a telogen effluvium after a stressful event. It's very scary. The hair can just, you know, start to fall out and, and you just see so much more hair in your brush and in the shower. Um, so that's definitely one. And then, you know, thyroid conditions are also another one. I mentioned postpartum, which is another common cause. And then, um, you know, men and women both can have a genetic form of hair loss, male pattern hair loss or female pattern hair loss. Those, those are some of the more common causes of hair loss. Do you find that hormone imbalance can play a role as well? Um, you know, hormones are thought to be related to male pattern hair loss and female pattern hair loss, but... Um, you know, they both have they both have different treatments, um, but certainly other forms of hormone imbalance can also affect your hair growth. Mm, okay, that makes sense. So oftentimes it's some sort of major internal stressor, whether it's like actual stress or perhaps like a thyroid complication, um, something like that, where the body's kind of rebounding and it doesn't have would you say it doesn't have like the resources to keep allowing for hair growth basically? You know, I, I would say that it's um, it's just shifted the hair into what's called telogen, which is the shedding phase and it's out of the antigen, which is the growing phase. Mm. So it's, um, it's just, you know, shifted temporarily. And, um, you know, once, once, someone's thyroid is restored or they're no longer having that illness, then with time, um, the hair will shift back. Um, But it's just important to make sure to treat the hair that you do have really well and make sure that you're using products that um, support anti-breakage benefits and also support the scalp's health while you're waiting for that to happen. Yeah, that makes sense. I personally have hypothyroid and after after the pandemic, I didn't even have COVID, but I think just the stress of being inside and then having my thyroid be a little bit off balance, I experienced what you were talking about of just like the clumps falling out in the shower. And it's so disheartening. I think, especially as a female, I think we can put a lot of value in our hair and just wanting that to be beautiful and healthy and voluminous, you know, but yeah, losing it, especially at a younger age, it's definitely, it's like a vulnerable feeling. It it is, it is a hundred percent. My twin sister, after she had um, one of her kids also had, you know, significant hair loss and just watching her go through that was, you know, it's, it it is, it's, it's emotional. And and my mom has pretty significant female pattern hair loss. So I -hmm. think, um, you know, it, it, it goes back to the mission behind seeing helping people feel seen for their best self. But, you know, having, um, having your. Yeah, absolutely. Especially because it takes time, even once 
you know, things are restored, it does take time for the hair to grow back. Do you think there are certain ways we could support hair regrowth or just like healthy hair through our lifestyle? Um, that's a great question. I think like we, we talked already about um, scalp health, which is so important. But I, I think, you know, diet really does matter too. And, and having a healthy diet and, um, you know, not eating a lot of pro-inflammatory foods. And again, this is like, I don't know of any randomized controlled study, but my general sense is that like having a healthy diet is really important also to, um, to hair health. Yeah. And likely eating enough, I would, yes, I yes. would suppose getting enough calories. Yes, that is a really good point. Like, um, you know, I, I think, I think that is, um, important for sure. Um, eating enough food, eating the right foods. Yeah. And what about perhaps like hairstyles or wearing hats, those kind of things? Do you think we should kind of be aware of, you know, any potential damage we could be doing to our hair or by adding stress to it with certain hairstyles, things like that? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. So there is um, a condition called traction alopecia, which is from really tight hairstyles. um, And you actually start to to lose your hair from that. So I think just, you know, being aware not to frequently do like super tight hairstyles. But I think hats are actually, um, you know, a good, you know, a good idea, um, especially in the sun, just to protect your hair and to protect your um, scalp. Um, You know, I think the other thing I would say is to avoid over-processing your hair. I I think that would more lead to to breakage, but, um, you know, certainly over-processing, I think, is also not ideal just for, for healthy hair. Now, when it comes to, you know, certain hair dyes, do you find bleach as well as just like coloring your hair? Would you say it's all kind of damaging to some degree? You know, I think it's, it's there's nuances there. So certainly bleach is more damaging. Um, you know, I color my hair. I'm, I'm 48, but I, um, I mm-hmm. think someone needs to invent a better hair dye because I always think about also the study showing a um, possible association with increased risk of breast cancer for those who use permanent hair dye. Um, so, you know, it's still listed as a possible, um, link, but still that, you know, that makes me, um, a little nervous. So I think there's, you know, you know, the, the overall health issue, but again, I still color my hair. Um, but certainly some dyes are going to be more, more damaging and drying than others. And bleach is certainly going to be, you know, more drying and potentially damaging. Hmm. That's interesting. And even, you know, treatments like keratin treatments, which, probably isn't good to be breathing in formaldehyde, right? Yeah, I mean, so th- those have also, so so this um, straighteners have also been brought up as possibly increasing breast cancer. And I saw some something recently about a possible link to, to uterine cancer also with chemical straighteners. And again, I haven't, you know, I don't, I don't know if the specifics um, of which products were used there, but um, you know, I'm on the NIH website right now, and, and the headline is hair straightening chemicals associated with higher uterine cancer risk. So for sure, um, it's, it, you know, it's something to be concerned about. And I, I, um, I think if you are going to straighten your hair, if you can go formaldehyde free, that's, you know, formaldehyde is a known carcinogen. Um, but whether you go formaldehyde free, if you're totally safe, I just don't know. Yeah. 
Okay. And then going back to seeing, what do you think are some of the ingredients that are beneficial for things like frizzy hair, damaged hair, dry hair, processed or bleached hair? What are some of the ingredients that you use, which are obviously also in the formula, safe for the skin? Totally. So, um, uh, you know, some of my favorites that we use, we squalane is a really big ingredient in, in skincare, and it's um, sustainably derived from plant sugar, and it's just this incredible natural moisturizer. So we use squalane in our in our styling products, and it just gives this amazing glass-like shine and has heat and color protection. There's a cousin ingredient called hemi-squalane, which is also C1315 alkane, um, that's plant sugar derived, and um, that is amazing for um, for the frizz benefits. We like to call it nature's answer to silicone. Um, another one of my favorites is a carob tree extract that's really um, great for strengthening the hair in our styling products. Um, so those are those are some of my favorites. We we also include in many of our products um, an ingredient called um, bisabolol, which is also you know we borrow a lot from skincare, um, but it's got these incredible skin soothing benefits, and um, that's that's another one that we that we use in our in a lot of our products. Yeah, I love that ingredient. I feel like sensitive skin even tolerates it very well. And it seems to be very healing overall. I I agree. I think it's a a wonderful ingredient. What is your hair care routine like? (laughs) That's okay to ask. Yeah. Well, so of course I only use scene because I created it because I was getting acne from my hair care products. And one of the things that I love about scene is I'm prone to so much frizz. So I, we've, we've got these products that are um, amazing anti-frizz benefits. So I'm often testing a new product. Like I just tested a, a new shampoo um, yesterday, but generally I'll use Scene Shampoo. I'll, I use our deeper conditioner, uh, which I love, and I'll leave it in for a few minutes. And then I'll either use our blowout cream or our curly cream, depending if I'm going straight, I'll use our blowout cream. And I, with both of them, I mix in our magic serum because it just gives an extra boost of shine, uh, frizz reduction, and pretty incredible strengthening benefits. So magic serum with a single use strengthens the hair by 81%. So, um, and so I'll wow. use those. And then after I dry my hair, I'll use magic serum again, just to tame any frizz or flyaways. Wow. Okay. And how about, this is very specific, but when do you brush your hair? Do you brush it when it's wet, when it's dry? Yeah. It, I have brushed my hair dry, but with my curl type, it, it, my hair goes so frizzy. So I almost never brush it dry. So I'll brush it um, after after I put in a styling product because I feel like that minimizes the breakage. And actually our styling products have mm. proven anti-breakage benefits. So get out of the shower and then I will um, put in a styling product and then I will use this wide tooth comb just to minimize breakage as well. And then I brush it then. Yes, I love that. And I imagine you're pretty gentle, right, with how you brush your hair? Yeah, I, I am. Um, so, you know, this wide tooth comb is just, I think it really minimize, minimizes um, breakage. And, you know, I think um, I think it is helpful to take a look at, you know, whatever brush or comb you're using and just make sure it's not like pulling or tugging too much on your hair. Yes. And speaking of brushes, this is also something I noticed 
I think was contributing to a lot of like scalp buildup and forehead acne is telling my clients to wash their hair brushes and I actually recommend they wash them with seen shampoo and hot water. Yeah, that is so smart. I mean, you know, the <laughs> product, just like you get build up on your scalp, you're going to get build up on your brush. Um, so I think that's, that's super smart. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a lot of us forget. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, I've had this brush for three years. I've never cleaned it. For so, sure. Yeah. It's all these little things that, you know, you find putting the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, and I, I have bought a pill, silk pillowcase, but I haven't changed to it yet. But, you know, I, I don't really know for sure. Um, but the, it looks, you know, pretty compelling that that can help also with frizz and reducing breakage. Um, again, I haven't seen like any like major studies, but it, it seems intuitive that um, you know, that silk would just have less friction on the hair. So that's like another thing that I think some people to minimize breakage and frizz. And what about heat styling? Is that something you do yourself? Do you think it's kind of okay in moderation? I, I do think it's okay in moderation. Yeah, I think it's okay in moderation. I heat style. I'm, I'm kind of lazy with my hair though, so I don't do it very often. I've got three kids and run um, scene, so I don't have a, a whole lot of time. So often I'll just, I'll blow dry just the front of my hair and put it in a ponytail. But I totally do think heat styling is good with um, making sure you use a heat protectant before you style. And then, you know, with hot tools, I would just use the lowest setting possible that works for your hair um, and just kind of, you know, also make sure like if you're blow drying your hair that you're not starting from sopping wet because then you're going to have to apply a lot of heat and, you know, making sure that um, it's somewhat, somewhat dry before you apply the heat. I think those are all good tips just to, you know, use heat, but, but minimize it as much as possible. Totally, totally. And I feel like another interesting thing that's been coming out lately is people saying your hair can actually break or be prone to damage if it's left wet. Do you have any thoughts there? Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. Um, I mean, I guess if it could possibly, sw you know, swell the cuticle and be more prone to damage when it's wet, it makes sense to me that could be the case, but I, I don't know that for sure. Yeah. Okay. It seems like there's like no right answer. So I kind of have been switching off between my Dyson with a more like medium heat and some days I'll let but it air dry. I don't think air drying is going to make your hair more prone to breakage. Is that, are they, is, okay. is the, oh, the thought is that like the faster you dry your hair, the less prone it'll be to breakage. I, I don't, I actually think air drying is, is great. And any heat you apply to your hair oh, okay. is probably oh. more risk of breakage. Okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense too. Um, very validating. Cool. Well, we have some listener questions for you, Dr. Yeah. Rubin. If you have time, I'd love to kind of fire them away at Perfect. you. Okay, so we have a question from Miss Marissa G. She says, what type of hair care is good for an oily scalp? Yeah, so I think um, for an oily scalp, it's important to use products that um, don't have a lot of oils in them themselves. And, um, you know, I, I always like a sulfate-free shampoo because I think it's gentler on the, um, on the scalp and it's great for everyday use because you know, people with oily scalp may need to 
wash um, daily. So I think a good sulfate-free shampoo that doesn't have a lot of like heavy oils or silicones that can build up on the scalp is really, um, really a great way to start. Um, some people with oily scalps also get dandruff. And, you know, for anyone who's dandruff prone, it can be helpful just to use a dandruff shampoo periodically to keep um, keep the flakes away before they before they come. So just kind of as prevention. Okay. And do you find sulfates tend to be drying in hair care and skin in skincare? I, I do. I think that they, you know, they're known to be potential irritants and more drying. Um, so you might say, oh, mm-hmm. wow, like, why wouldn't I use that on an oily scalp? But I just think, you know, you're also having to um, manage your hair. And, you know, when you shampoo your hair, you're not just taking care of your scalp, your hair, you're taking care of both of them. And so if you're needing to wash every day, it's just a bit gentler on your hair to go sulfate free. Mm. Okay, cool. Next question is from Carmelita Cheetah. She says, so do you double cleanse your scalp? You know, that's actually a, a reasonable tip for someone who's got um, oily, um, oily scalp. I don't double cleanse. I don't think it's ne- necessary. But, you know, um, I think if someone has a lot of buildup or really oily scalp, you know, it can be helpful periodically to double cleanse. Okay. And she also asks, is pH important in hair care? And what is the pH level of scene? Yes, I think pH is important. I don't have all the pHs off um, the top of my head. But I, yeah, I, do, I do think it's important because you want, you want the pH to be at a level for shampoo where you know, it, it does cleanse, but for conditioner and styling products where it's really hydrating. So pH definitely needs to be optimized. Um, but if you send us an email, I'm more than happy to send you all our pHs. And I think it's probably in our frequently asked questions as well. Mm. Okay. Do you think you could speak to a little bit why pH matters? Um, yeah, I, it, it matters because if, if you don't have the right pH, like you won't lift the cuticle and be able to actually like, you know, clean, um, clean the hair. And, you know, you also want it to respect the scalp. Um, but then you also want the pH to be um, the right pH to seal the cuticle and, and to reduce frizz, um, you know, once, once you've conditioned. So it's kind of like you, it just needs to be optimized both for the shampoo function, conditioner function, and for your scalp. Okay. Okay. And the next question is, is seen safe with hair extensions? Um, so we haven't, we, we have many people with extensions that use seen, but we, we haven't specifically tested it. Um, you know, it's something we've thought about doing because obviously you don't want the um, adhesive to dissolve um, because ex- extensions are, um, you know, take time and, and it can be expensive. Mm-hmm. So, um we can't make the official claim that it's safe for extensions, but we do have people who enjoy seeing who do use extensions. Okay. Okay. I mean, I imagine it would be because it's, it's quite gentle. Yeah. 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 Okay. And our last listener question also from Carmelita Cheetah says, seen has helped my scalp a lot. Um, but I'm curious, is there protein in the deeper conditioner? We do not have um, a product with protein as of yet. Our styling products have amino acids. Um, 
but you know it's something um, that we've talked about potentially doing a product with protein, but currently we don't. Oh, okay. That's interesting. I feel like, yeah, there's different technology out there, right? Like there's Olaplex or there's keratin treatments, but how does the amino acid um, benefit work in hair care and what was the vision with that? Yeah, so amino acids are the building blocks of protein. So the idea would be that that would just help, um, you know, help with hair health generally. Um, and protein, you know, some people think protein is good, but some people think, um, you know, depends on your hair porosity. So, um, so that's kind of why we haven't, haven't done protein across the board yet, but, um, you know, protein can certainly be good to help, um, strengthen the hair, you know, so for some hair types, it can be particularly helpful. Hmm. Okay. I just want to say I really appreciate that I feel like as a doctor, you look at all of the data and it's just really refreshing to see somebody kind of implementing that in a hair care line and being conscious of the skin at the same time. So I want to thank you for that because it's made a big difference for my clients and I feel like it's really been missing in the market. I seriously appreciate that. And, you know, we're very we're very thoughtful about our products. We only want to put products out there that really help, help people. And, um, you know, each product that we develop, you know, sometimes it can take us like our curly cream took us, I think about 30 versions. Um, we only want to put products out there that are really amazing for the hair and for the skin. Um, so, you know, we're, we, we appreciate all, all the feedback and, um, we're really a mission driven brand to help people, people feel, um, have healthy skin and, um, beautiful hair. Yeah, amazing. Well, I love all the products and thank you so much for spoiling me with more scene, but I'm just such a big fan. Do you feel like there's anything we didn't include that you'd like to mention about scene or hair overall? No, Tess, I think you asked amazing questions and it's, you know, um, wonderful to be on your podcast and I'm glad that you're enjoying scene and that your clients are enjoying scene and um, you know, I just, I, we have an article actually in practical dermatology this month about, you know, um, the intersection of hair care and skin care. And, um, I just really believe hair care is skin care because anything you put on your hair can get on your skin and stay on your skin for hours. We've actually published that too. And I think consu- consumers deserve to know that and deserve to know the impact that hair products can have on the skin. In my case, it was acne, but can also potentially flare eczema or scalp, um, dry scalp, or even hair shedding. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be on your podcast and be able to share that with your listeners. Yeah. And I love that you're speaking to that data. Didn't the article say, correct me if I'm wrong, but something like hair care products, even wash off products are there's still a residue on your skin for like 18 hours. It, or it was like less that? hours than that, but yeah. So when I was okay. first um, getting acne from hair care products, I, I tried to just stop all leave-in products. Um, and I would mm. still break out after like I'd go to the salon and just use shampoo and conditioner. And so we did a study showing that um, even rinse off products, just shampoo and conditioner, it was a case, uh, case report can leave a residue on the skin for, for hours. Um, so, you know, I think we only looked up to two hours, but we didn't even look beyond that with the shampoo and conditioner. But what it showed was that there was residue on the face, 
the scalp, the back, um, you know, even two hours after, you know, using shampoo and conditioner. And so, you know, I like to say like you rinse and forget about it, but your skin doesn't. And so that's why it's just so important to use hair products that, you know, love your skin as well. Yeah. And I know you really put them to the test by like actually applying these products to your face, yeah, right? Yeah, and then of course we do the third-party testing. And then, you know, we have a lot of clinical studies too. Yes. We, we did, um, we, we gave uh, scene to 27 patients with mild to moderate acne in a dermatologist-graded study. And it was pretty crazy. After eight weeks, 70% with body acne got better and 52% with face acne. And we published this in the Journal of Drugs and Dermatology. So, you know, we're really science-driven. We only want to put products out there that work for people. Um, you know, and, and we, we've also done clinical studies with dry scalp and um, a Harvard study uh, showing 44% less hair shedding in women with female pattern hair loss who used fragrance-free scenes specifically for six months. So, you know, we're, we're pretty geeky over here at Scene. We, we love the science and, um, you know, it's important for us to make sure that anything we put out there is, um, you know, is helping people because, you know, the world doesn't need another hair care product, but it does need Scene because, um, it, it, you know, it's really a, a new category of hair care that's good for the skin as well. Yes, I love that. And I truly just commend you for all you've done for the skincare community. And I'm just, again, so glad these products exist. Can you tell us, yeah, can you tell us where we can find you and seeing hair care, um, perhaps on social media, etc.? Yeah, so um, hellocene.com and it's at scene skin and hair is our Instagram handle. Um, and yeah, um, uh, and if, if you go to our website, any questions, they, they, we are a small company and they will get filtered to me if you know you have any questions for me, um, but it's just hellocene.com at scene skin and hair. And then we're also um, in many Ulta stores. Amazing. And sold through licensed professionals like yes, yourself. Yes, that's very important. Yes, we have many dermatologists yes. and estheticians that sell scene and sample scene and you know it's um it's it's amazing well thank you so much for joining us this was so much fun thank you dr rubin and yeah it was so great to meet you and we'd love to have you back anytime i would love it i really appreciate the opportunity thank you so much all right guys thanks for listening i will talk to you next week